Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 197. Julius usually does the clever joke. This time, he left me hunting for one. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Gabe. Um, actually, Gabe Barrett, one of the designers of a game currently on Kickstarter, Hunted Ridge, and also two released ones earlier in the series, Hunted Kobayashi Tower and Hunted Mining Colony 415. Hello, Gabe. How you doing? Julius. What's happening, man? Good to have. Uh, good to be on your show. Good to have you here. And I hear you also do another podcast. Do you want to tell listeners something about that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, what's up, my friends? Really appreciate you guys tuning in. I run the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Been doing that since uh, about 2016. And I interview game designers, game publishers, people in the industry, and we talk about various game design related topics. That actually sounds like a really interesting podcast. I'm going to have to listen to that. Yeah, please do. We've been, uh, been going for a while. So love to have you on board. I'd love to. But I know that we have a brief amount of time that we're going to be able to talk with you today. So I know you have a game currently on Kickstarter, Woad Ridge, and you also released two previous ones in the series, Mining Colony 415 and Kobayashi Tower. Can you give us like a one minute overview about the basic idea for those? Yeah, absolutely. So they're solo experiences, but you know they also have a little two player variant, but really designed for uh, the single player. And basically, you're on the run. Something is hunting you, sort of the, na- the, uh, the games get their name, hunted. And uh, you've got a limited amount of time, a limited amount of resources to get away or to solve the mystery or to get off the uh, spaceship before it explodes. And so you're trying to beat the clock and also not get eaten or you know, murdered by terrorists or something like that. And so uh, the games are, <laughs> in my opinion, super thematic. And the game, you know, they really lean into their themes. And uh, yes, it's a series of games. At the same time, you don't have to play them all. You can jump in at any time. All the games are standalone with a similar card play mechanism, but everything else about the games are different. So these were the first times that you've been designing or you had previously designed things before this? Oh, I've been designing for like 11 years, something like that. Um, for the most part, you know, those, those years were just design for fun and throw most of my ideas away because they weren't worth anything of uh, the last five <laughs> years or so i've been actually you know trying to get games published and i've had several games i've had let's see four published games five something like that um let's see three four three came out this year <laughs> so there it is it, it's all get cra- it gets crazy <laughs> manufacturing times have been ridiculous because of the coronavirus and everything get pushed back but anyway yeah I've, I've designed several games at this point i can understand that and what made you decide decide to design a solo game? I know that's going to be of the major interest to our listeners as we're a solo-based uh, podcast. So why solo? Yeah, for sure. So I designed multiplayer games for a long time. But then the uh, the friend that was kind of my best gaming buddy, he moved away. And all of a sudden, I didn't really have anybody to play with. And then the pandemic obviously changed things as, you know, for a lot of people as far as being able to play multiplayer games. And so the more... Uh, I got into game design. So you're like, you know what? I don't want to deal with playtesters. I want to deal with finding new gaming friends. I'll just design games for me, you know, by myself, and uh, try to <laughs> try to do this whole solo experience. And the more I get into it, the more I just fell in love with the whole process and just the idea of solo games and really bringing those to life. Sounds awesome. So, are you intending on designing more solo games? Or are you going to breach back into multiplayer games? I don't remember the last time I worked on a multiplayer game in the last like two years. <laughs> I've designed so many solo games, uh, some of which have not been very good and have you know ended up in the, the recycling bin. Uh, but others are, are going really well. Uh, I've got more solo games coming out, hopefully, or coming to Kickstarter uh, later 
this year. Uh, some more games in the Hunted series for sure, but then also some totally different games that I'm really excited about. I definitely think that the ability to refine and let go of ones that you know know that are the best is a good skill to be able to have as a designer. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of the designers I've interviewed on, on my show have talked about how they have just thrown away thousands of ideas, thousands of prototypes. You know, some of these really prolific game designers that, that do amazing games, they have thrown away far more games than they've ever published. And I think it's just part of the natural process. And you said that you're doing this without any playtesters or any co-designers or anything like that? Well, I, there's no co-designers. Uh, I've got people helping me as far as art and graphic design and things like that. Uh, playtesting has really just been either over Tabletop Simulator or sending the print and play files to different people that are, are solo gamers or people that really love these kinds of games. And so, yeah, mainly me as the play tester, but then also a handful <laughs> of people around to do, you know, the unguided play tests and things like that. That sounds like a good plan. I know from my look at Kobayashi Tower and Mining Colony 415, the two of them seem very similar. I think the one thing that really jumped out at me was the different mechanics you use in order to be able to do skill tests. Uh, just to summarize for the listeners, the idea of the game is you have a deck of cards and you're essentially just running through the deck of cards, trying to get the icons you need to get through locations. Kind of The locations were kind of similar to uh, Death Angel in that the goal is to dig through the locations until you get to the final objective. But over the course of the game, you're going to be doing skill tests either to avoid damage um, or to be able to damage the enemies or something else. And in Kobayashi Tower, that the method of that, um, the method to use to take those skill tests is more typical just die roll um, that you would throw the dice, and if you get success dice, then you get success dices. Where in Mining Colony 415, the idea that you have, or actually I think it's reversed, in Mining Colony 415, um, you roll dice. But in one of the two of them, you actually have a bunch of tokens that you're going to be throwing into the box. And it's more of a dexterity game to be able to have successes. Where if you land it in the circle, it's a success. If it's outside of the circle, it's not. Was this a design idea that you were experimenting with, with those two different types of successes, dice rolling versus dexterity? Well, the first thing I had was the idea that I wanted to make a game similar to Aliens and those kind of movie franchises where you're one lone hero and either all the people on your spaceship are dead or they've all been captured and they're being turned into hosts for the aliens. Yeah, I wanted to make a game like that. I wanted, it to be a, wanted it to be a solo experience. And I had that idea for like the way the cards play off of each other, right? Where every card in the deck is multi-use, where you can either use it for its resources or you can spend resources to gain it. And then maybe it gives you a weapon or an item or uh, opens up new locations, things like that. And so that's kind of where it all started. And so I designed the alien uh, version, the Mining Colony 415 first. And I love dexterity games. I am you know, a rare bird in the gaming industry. It seems like because most people seem to hate them, but there's a strong uh, niche of us that, that love these games. And so I created that game and I wanted the combat to be skill-based. I wanted it to feel like the game was in your hands. And if you got eaten by aliens, it's because you didn't do very well. You couldn't blame dice or, you know, the, the random world out there. You had to you had to blame yourself. <laughs> and so I designed that game first. And the more I got into it, the more I realized it's like, well, a lot of people don't like dexterity. They like dice rolling. And so what if I kind of designed a counterpart game that was parallel, that had the same card play mechanism, but then the experience would be different and it would have a totally different combat system, totally different skill test system. The cards would interact with each other in different ways. So it wouldn't just be a knockoff. It wouldn't just be a total retheme. 
but it would provide a different experience, but it would be for players that aren't into dexterity that, that like dice rolling. And so that's kind of uh, where, where Kobayashi tower came in. And I uh, used a lot of a totally different genre where you're, you know, fighting terrorists, you're like the lone soldier, the lone cop, and it's up to you to save everybody. And in this case, you're in a, a skyscraper trying to, trying to save the day. So that's kind of where the ideas came from. And uh, it was a lot of fun to work on. Out of curiosity, did you have a preference between one or the other now that they're out or can't pick between your babies? I still love Mining Colony because the game is in my hands. I just really like that idea of tossing these tokens. And the way it works is the game's box has a card inside and it's got an alien uh, picture there and it's got a circle if you want to go normal mode or it's got a little small square if you want to play hard mode. And you have to toss these tokens based on how many shots uh, you're using from your pulse rifle or your grenade launcher or your laser rifle, whatever. And you're throwing these tokens in and it's tense. Like it gives you this really tense moment and you know you get sweaty palms as you're trying to toss these tokens in i just really enjoy that experience kobayashi tower is a lot of fun if you just you know want, want to roll dice it's not quite as tense because it's not on you you know it's it's, it's not on the flick of your wrist the way the uh, the dice roll it's just kind of up to up to chance and so yeah i still prefer the uh, mining colony i want to focus on a different aspect of the components the art design that you went with for this one i assume you were also doing the art design selection choices for it yeah i did the art direction uh, my friend jorge Jorge Velez. Uh, he's a guy I met in Atlanta. And uh, yeah, he just turned out to be an incredible find. I, I met him at the Southern Fr- uh, Southern Fried Gaming Convention, which is this little rinky-dink convention in Atlanta that's mainly for like pinball gaming, which is, I don't know of any other, there might be some more of those in the country, but it's pinball gaming. And then they have a little bit of video games and a little bit of board games. And they've got like a, a, an area where artists can set up booths and stuff. And I was just walking through and around the time I was trying to figure out what I wanted the art to be for these games. And I had a totally different vision initially. I wanted it to be very like realistic and, and very visceral. And you could see all these like very interesting, like real details. But as soon as I saw Jorge's art at his booth, I was like, nope, that is that is the direction to go in. He's um, really experienced with T-shirt design. And so he's very good at using just a very limited number of colors to bring a design to life. And so that was the direction we went, went in with with these games. And what is, what's cool is every game in the hunted series is going to have a very different color palette, but at the same time, you're only using two or three colors. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I think the games really stand out and each one is very obviously different from the others. I definitely think it creates a neat aspect to the game to have sort of a color theme hold all the way through. What I wanted to make sure I have that for our listeners who may not be able to see a picture of the cards is that every single card in it uses that limited color palette. So all the cards, for example, in Kobayashi Tower are all just this blue design. So all of it looks blue and you've used different shades of blue to create all the art elements and it's still is it's stunning clear the graphics of it all look very nice it's very easy to read but also all the art just looks really good i definitely want to commend you on being able to find that designer although i will note i think that you're cheating with your idea of one color palette per game with woad ridge are you not well woad ridge is a little interesting Uh, i wanted to do something different there because one of the core mechanisms in that game is that all the cards in the deck are not only multi-purpose multi-use but they're also double-sided and you could be in the real world or you can be in the other side, which is a lot more dangerous. There's a lot of crazier stuff going on. That's, it's kind of a, a Stranger Themes vibe game, a kind of a horror films from the 80s where you're, you know, crazy stuff's going on in your little suburban neighborhood. And so I wanted it to be 
I wanted the player to feel very different when they went over into that other side. And so the real world uses one color scheme that's pinks and purples, and the other side uses greens and purples. And you get this like really interesting, like Ghostbusters kind of thing going on. And so, yeah, that one has a little bit, little bit extra uh, color palette in there, but it's mainly because the game changes when you move to the other side of the deck. How do you make that change with the deck? What do you mean? All right, so when you're going through the real world, uh, the way the game games in the series work is as you're playing cards, it's, a, it's very much a push-your-luck element uh, because a lot of cards have these little bell icons which basically stand for you've made noise or you've done something to let the bad guys know where you are and now they're coming to get you. And so if you have uh, two or more bell icons in the row and then a bad guy pops up or something you know, bad happens, then the whole row gets discarded. You can no longer you know, use any of those cards or buy any of those cards and now you have combat or now something bad happens. And in Wode Ridge, one of the bad things that can happen is a portal pops up. It's kind of like a poltergeist thing that sucks you into the TV or sucks you into the closet. And now you're in the other side where things get a lot more dangerous. And so when you when you go through a portal, you, ba- you literally just take the deck, pick it up, flip it over and put it back down. And then you keep playing the game the exact same way. But now you're on the other side of the deck. So each side of the each card in the game has a flip side on it where one side is green and one side is pink and you flip over the cards themselves, correct? Exactly, exactly. And you're currently publishing these through Kickstarter and the other ones are available on your website? Yeah, so the other ones I kickstarted back the very tail end of 2019 and then they just came out in January, uh, end of January, early February, it went out to backers and now they're on my website, which is bestwithone.com. That's the number one. You can get those there or you can check out Kickstarter for uh, Wood Ridge. Is there any reason why you've decided to try and just make those available on your website or use some other form of getting the game out there, selling it to distributors? Yeah, so several retailers uh, have purchased quite a few copies of the game. Uh, I've only honestly got a few hundred copies of each game left uh, at this point. Um, Some retailers bought uh, maybe close to a thousand games total. So, you know, different retailers in, in different parts of the world will have them, but it's a very limited release. That's what the nature of being an indie publisher. I just, I don't have the resources to go out and, and do a 10,000 game print run or anything like that. And so if this is a game that, that sounds interesting to you, make sure you check it out sooner rather than later. Cause I'm not sure how many uh, games are even left at this point. You're intending on not reprinting it again, or you're going to keep doing it again. What's your thoughts? Yeah, at some point down the road, do a reprint, probably do another Kickstarter, maybe add some content, add you know different cards, different things uh, going on. But uh, who knows when that'll be. I'm hoping sooner rather than later. Hopefully we sell out pretty quickly and uh, there's a demand for more. That's always the the goal as a publisher, that, that people really want the game and then you can do another campaign and, and get it out to even more people. I can certainly understand that. I know that hopefully this will give you a little bit more reach because um, I know that I personally am interested in the game and hopefully we'll be able to get a more full review of the games on there once I've had an opportunity to get a couple more plays of it on. Yeah, that'd be great. What was another core idea that you had when you were designing the game? So when you design games in general? Well, the main thing I think I said earlier is theme. I really love thematic games. I am not the play a deep Euro for three hours that's going to burn my brain. I'm more of a let's let's feel like this hero. Let's feel like these characters and, and let's run around you know, guns blazing, trying to save the day kind of thing. That's just my style uh, of play. And so that tends to be the kind of games that I also uh, design. And so with all these games, and, and there's several more in the Hunted series I'm already working on, it's the idea that you are this character or this group of characters and something bad is going to happen. And you're it's up to you to save the day 
And so really just trying to lean into that with the mechanisms of the games, uh, with the events. In, in Wood Ridge's case, there's a whole adventure book. There's a whole group uh, or a book of stories. There's almost 100 different uh, story events that happen as, as the game progresses. And it gives you this little vignette, this little 150 or so word story, and then a couple choices, and then different things can happen based on your choices. And so I'm just really trying to immerse the player in, in the theme as much as possible through all the games that I work on. With at least the Hunted series, most of those themes, though, are more generic, I think is probably what I can say, but more that it just draws on other ideas like Aliens or this Crime Fighter, which I can't remember the name of the old SNES game it reminds me of. And then World Ridge, as you mentioned, reminds me just of Stranger Things, that they're drawing very much on past games. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It helps the player get into it more when they already have some sort of aspect to connect to when it's more familiar to them and now they have an opportunity to play through some of their favorite movies and experiences have you considered drawing on your own ip creating a more broad theme something that you've created from scratch well i mean at this point there's no new ideas everything's based on something else uh and it's very difficult to create anything that's you know that someone's gonna go wow this is all brand new i never thought of this before uh and so i think there's a lot of value in taking from things that you love, uh, things that really get you going, get you excited, get, kind of give you the juice, so to speak. And because uh, there's lots of those things out there, uh, whether it's Lord of the Rings and designing a fantasy based game or uh, whether it's you know a, a genre of movie or genre TV show. But really just diving into what are the things that draw people into those ideas. Uh, and as a small publisher, when you don't have the money or the lawyers to go out and get a, a licensed IP and, and pay all the thousands of dollars to go along with that, uh, I, I find it really useful to borrow from different things that you love and then just try to put all those things uh, together. Now, another good thing about when you're creating this kind of amalgamation is you, you're not limited. You know, if you're going to design a game strictly based on a single IP, then you, you can't do as much. So if you design a zombie game that's based on The Walking Dead, well, you can't have all these interesting, crazy zombies because that's not what The Walking Dead is. It, the Walking Dead is just normal, run-of-the-mill zombies. You can't also have zombies that spew acid or zombies that are super powerful, strong. Like it, it just doesn't fit the IP. And so I feel like when you have a game that's kind of an amalgamation of different things you love about a genre or takes from different ideas, TV shows, movies, whatever, you can really put some cool mashups together and have a lot of fun that way. Neat. You mentioned having the resources to be able to get an IP. If you had unlimited resources, unlimited availability, is there an IP that you would love to design in? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't know. I mean, Lord of the Rings is freaking amazing <laughs> so that would be a ton of fun to do a fantasy uh you know hunted game a single player experience type game where, where you're frodo or you're aragorn like, that'd be a ton of fun but um oh x files i think x files would be another one that'd be super interesting um i don't know i hadn't really given it too much thought when you when you don't have unlimited resources there, there's no reason you know i don't i don't typically think too much <laughs> i don't dream too much about it uh, yeah so you are a sole publisher. You also got your game on Kickstarter right now. What would you say is one of the biggest challenges for small publishers and for small creators on Kickstarters? Yeah, so the main thing is time. It's just a matter of you, you're one person. There's only so many hours in a day, and you end up doing so much that has to do with customer service, that has to do with shipping and fulfillment, and just all of the logistics and business side of things that basically all the stuff that's not fun. <laughs> and so it could be very challenging to actually get design time in development time in play testing in because you, you find yourself doing so many other things. And so recently I've hired out 
uh, people to basically that are freelancers to help me do different things, whether it's helping with logistics and shipping and fulfillment or helping with various aspects of things. And I just pay them, you know, freelance as a freelancer, they're not like an employee or anything. So I've had to do that uh, just to be able to open up time and to otherwise I would spend 99% 99% of my time doing things that I don't even enjoy doing that are just things you have to do as a business and accounting and all that kind of thing. And so that's, that's a huge challenge when you're just starting out is you're one person and you have to wear all the hats and uh, it's, it can be frustrating. Have you ever thought about bringing on any of the designers to work with or to publish for? Yeah. So I'm actively looking for more games to publish uh, here in later this year, early next year. And so I'm actually running a, a game design contest over at the game crafter, looking for one and two player games, trying to find other things that, that people have come up with and, and help, you know, for me and my company to help bring those games to life. Uh, I haven't thought too much as far as co-designing. I am working on a project where I'm designing the game and there's another person on the team that's kind of world building. They're doing a lot of the lore and the backstory and a lot of the art and things like that. And so that in certain ways is, is co-designing kind of uh, at the same time, I'm handling all the mechanisms. I'm handling like how the game plays and, and that guy's handling kind of the, the bigger picture of like what's going on in the world. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely recommend co-designing when, when you can, because again, like, like I said earlier, you can split up your, your resources. You can, like, I'm going to focus on this, you focus on that, and you can get more done in the same amount of time. I know that we've focused some on the solo design contests and board game geek in the past. Can you tell me more about this solo design contest you're running? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the idea is to design uh, games that are kind of small box, you know, in that $30 or less range, solo or two-player games, uh, whether it's a solo game with a two-player variant or a two-player game with a solo variant, that kind of thing. But the games are made for one and or two players. I think there's a lot of value uh, in that right now, especially as people have been stuck at home because of all the lockdowns. And there's been a lot of people who have gotten into games over the last year or so because they've been stuck at home and they only play games by themselves or only play with their spouse or you know friend or significant other or something like that. And so I think that part of the hobby is really growing. I think there's a lot more people coming into it. And so, yeah, the game design contest is really, it's about that. And you know, there's no limitation as far as theme. There's no limitation necessarily as far as components. It's really just making sure that the game is not going to be a hundred dollars. It's going to, it's a hard sell a hundred dollar solo game. And so it's kind of keeping the scope small, but at the same time, the gameplay really fun, thematic, engrossing, immersive, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what people come up with. I'm looking forward to it. I'll have to keep a look at it and see if anything else interesting comes out of that contest. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on. Did you have any final messages that you want to put out? No. I mean, if uh, these games sound interesting to you, make sure you check it out on Kickstarter right now. That's Hunted Woad Ridge. About some kids in the 80s dealing with the, uh, the crazy things happening, the strange things happening in their little Colorado town and uh, like i said earlier the other games are, are on my website bestwithone.com and, and please check them out uh, there's lots of reviews coming out here of the last week and this week and things like that and so you know go on youtube and look up reviews maybe it's a game that's for you and if it is look into it and uh yeah i'd love to have you uh on board all right thank you very much gabe i appreciate your time yeah thanks for having me Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.